we always try to evolve, you know, every week at the restaurant, try to be better from the week before. And that's what we've always done. You know, we've never gone out with the intention of trying to be the best, just, just to better ourselves. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Earlier in the series, Peter Gilmore said, if this is the death of fine dining, then it's the death of creativity and passion. There are all levels of restaurants, but those at the pinnacle serve not only to push the boundaries of gastronomy, but of human talent and exceptional experiences. They act as inspiration, deliver aspiration, and remind us how magical life can be. Dan Puskas is the owner and chef of Sixpenny Sydney. Dan, how are you going? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. You've um, got one of the best restaurants in Australia, and uh, you turned it you turned it into um, a bakery and takeaway. What what was that period of time like for you? Um, uh, I, don't know. I don't know where to begin. Well, I mean, a it just wasn't up to me. It was up to the whole team and making sure. Like I, I sort of, I was sort of like stressed that people wouldn't want to have a crack and and make make a go of it. But I just I felt like we're we're all on the same page. And as soon as I mentioned it, you know, everyone was super keen from the beginning. And um, you know, like it's all, all my thanks and appreciation goes out to you know all the all the staff and especially you know George from the front of house who you know, restructured the website and, you know, set up a, you know, shop online where people can pre-purchase cakes. Um, Georgia, uh, the sous chef in the kitchen who just, you know, gave 110% every day. Well, all the chefs did, you know, but, and especially Aaron, you know, who, you know, sacrificed his time and, you know, has a, has a, you know, almost like I think 11 or 12 month old baby at home at the time. It was probably about six months who was getting up doing the baking bakery shifts, you know, and he was, you know, like everyone just came in blazing and just wanted to give it a red hot crack. And, you know, like, um, it was a really special time, even though there was so much uncertainty happening, you know, just watching everyone come together and giving it 110%, it was, it was really special to, to watch, you know, and there was almost a few times there where you just sort of like sit back and just watch everyone just dig in. And I was just really proud and, and thankful, you know, that everyone wanted to chip in and do their part. You really chanced your arm and, and, pushed the level of gastronomy uh, in the suburbs and open, when you were first opened Sixpenny and there was risks involved in that. But you've built it up to be an extraordinary restaurant and one of Australia's best. Well, what, how did it feel at that time when there was so much uncertainty having to sort of change something that you, you put so much energy into? How, how did you feel at that time? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, there was a lot of uncertainty. You know, you spend about eight and a half years creating one style of restaurant and then all of a sudden you're supposed to change it in a couple of weeks, you know, um, and, and that's just it. You know, that uncertainty brought anxiety and the anxiety was stressful of not knowing what was happening, you know, but there was everyone was in the same position and I felt like 
just calling, you know, I haven't rung my friends this month that much in a long time, but just calling people every day and seeing where they were at and, and what they were doing, knowing that there were so many more people in, in a worse position than us, you know, opening, about to open new restaurants and all of a sudden they're shut down and then no relief from rent and just having to think on the fly, you know. Um, yeah, but f- for us, you know, like just I think the biggest thing was, yeah, trying to create something new in two weeks when you put your heart and soul into something for nine years or almost nine years. It was, um, you know, just the, the anxiety of it not working was was a bit scary but once we opened and we got better every every weekend you know like it wasn't smooth sailing from the get-go but you know like we learned every week and we we learned fast and we just we did the best we could and we just gave it a, a red hot crack you know so six penny is known as a real creative collaborative sort of hub as a kitchen and um, you have an amazing attention to detail as well with what you do and to have to turn that around in three weeks whether was it frustrating trying to get products right to the level that you expect from that kitchen? Yeah, but at the same time, it was like a slice of carrot cake, you know. Um, it would be a loaf of bread and all these things we 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 make anyway on our Friday Friday uh, you know dessert dessert day. Uh, look, yeah, like look a lot of a lot of all that was was Aaron. You know, like he loves baking. He was just doing. You know, he made so many new things, like all the all the scrolls, all the all, all the breads. Like, oh, yeah, I can't even. It's such a long time ago now. Like, I feel like it was, it was a lifetime ago. But um, you know, like so so much of that was Aaron. Um, you know, like I remember just spending like ages, like weeks, working on a chiffon cake. You know, when I like, which I you know from uh, Beatrix Bakes in Melbourne. You know, which one of my favorite one of my favorite places to go to in Melbourne. So I think like what happened was we just sort of said, all right, what what's going to happen? What can we do? And I think we've always floated the idea that one day we wanted to open up like a little bakery slash cake shop, you know, just, just didn't know that it was, would happen in two weeks. Um, you know, so then like testing, testing the waters, um, was was a really fun adventure and it was really sort of thrilling and it was a little bit exhilarating knowing after the first day that there was like a line around the corner uh really gave us a little bit more encouragement just to, to go all right you know like people are, people have heard about this you know like we've, we've got a bit of a name in the industry and people are willing to come you know we just wanted to always it's the same principle you always want to offer you know the 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 guests an experience with whether it's a you know an, a, an expensive tasting menu or a or a slice of cake you know we just wanted to make it the best carrot cake we we don't do anything super fancy but I, I suppose there's a lot of technique in in making you know things just delicious in it in itself so like I don't say I don't think we nailed it straight away but you know we're, you know when things are right and you know Aaron and Georgia and the whole team. You know, like we had Sire on pastry making sort of Japanese cheesecakes, um, people working on chiffon cakes. Everyone had their own sort of sort of like little, you know, all their, all their own little tests going on, you know. And then Aaron with all the doughs just, 
just going nuts like he did was, you know, the bubkas and and the slices and the cakes was just, you know, it was really special just to see it all come together. What sort of impact did that have on the team that you have there? I think everyone really enjoyed it, you know, like especially the on the weekends where we had a couple of guys cooking like pastrami rolls and bacon and egg sandwiches and then we had produce boxes going out from the kitchen and then, you know, like just cakes and like just bass cheesecakes coming out of the oven you know it was a it was a different experience i think we all just got to like you know let our hair down a little bit i guess because we just knew that we weren't being reviewed that year so it was almost like a it was almost like a, a bit of a year of freedom you know and, a, and a, once once we knew that people were coming in and we'll be able to pay the bills and everyone was getting paid for what they were doing you know like we could just let our hair down and you know it's like a bit of a gap year <laughs> We, we can talk about the evolution of Six Penny shortly, but is it a different restaurant after this experience of this year to what it was? Um, I suppose, no, I'd say, I'd say not. Um, I'd say we always um, try to evolve, you know, every week at the restaurant, try to be better from the week before. Um, and that's what we've always done. You know, we've never gone out with the intention of trying to be the best, just just to better ourselves. Um, and that's what we always continue to do and always will do, I guess. So, you know, hopefully Sixpenny is just a better version of itself, you know, this year. And hopefully people will see that in, you know, that Sixpenny is a better version of itself next year. You have um, an incredible CV of starting your apprenticeship at Tetsuya's and then Oscillate Wildly, CPR Sixpenny's, can you tell us yep. about your experiences with those restaurants? Yeah, I mean, where to begin? Like, there's so many years spent in these in these kitchens, and every every kitchen was was very different, you know. But some of the, you know, like obviously Martin was the head chef of Tets when I was there, and then CPR, and then I worked with him a little bit when he was at the Boathouse as well. So obviously he was a big influence on my career. Um, you know, working at Tets, I was such a young such a young apprentice, you know, coming from Cronulla, not really knowing what to expect in a fine dining or in the the fine dining restaurant to be at at the time. Um, That was an incredible experience. And, you know, like you don't often realise how special it was until years later once you've already left and moved on and then understand how special that that time was. Um, And you see you know people that have left Sixpenny and how they've said the same thing you know you speak to you you know I'm still close to a lot of people that have come and gone from Sixpenny you know you speak to them and then they say the same thing you know like you don't really realize how special the place is until you know until you've left um so Tets was you know like the first fine dining restaurant I worked at and that was like insane to to look back at the time and you know, what, what we did there. And, you know, I remember times where I didn't even really know at the time, but, you know, you'd finish service and you'd go and line up outside and then all of a sudden for an age year just had dinner, you know. And, you know, those were those were experiences that I didn't really understand at the time, you know. I think, you know, there was a time where, you know, Charlie Trotter came in and, like, I knew about him and I got him to sign my T-shirt. But again, like they're experiences that you don't <laughs> that you don't come across every day. Um, so that was really special. You know, obviously I love working for Martin at his at all his restaurants. You know, um, 
you know, able to grow and really become a chef working under him. But then also like the creativity at Mark Restaurant. When I left Tets and then uh, went to like a smaller scale sort of three-hat restaurant, you know, like independently owned, working for Mark and seeing how creative Pussy was and, you know, that was, you know, was had a huge impact on my career as well, you know. It was during that period of time you won Joseph, the Josephine Pinula Young Chef of the Year and that led to Oscillate Wildly in, in Newtown. What was it like as taking your first head chef gig in a, a suburb not known for uh, pushing the envelope so much with the cuisine at the time, but that tiny little kitchen and um, you really really uh, catapulted your career? Yeah, I think looking back on it, you know, I was a little young. I uh, could have definitely um, have done with a little bit more experience in working uh, in other restaurants. But, yeah, like I won the award and travelled overseas and I think I spent time at WD50 and Alinea, um, you know, like huge, very progressive restaurants um, and then decided to come back and that opportunity came up and um, I took the job over from Peter Robinson. I think he's now at Flying Fish. Um, you know, he's worked with Phil Wood in the past and, you know, he, he worked at Bilson's and, you know, he had a – he left the kitchen, you know, like with all the fundamentals in place, you know, like he – it was a pretty easy transition and he was a great chef but I always think it was only like 20 – I kind of remember 24, 25 or 26, somewhere around there and, um, you know, definitely – you know, applied a lot of the things that I'd learned overseas into the menus and trying to be a little bit more progressive, um, you know, but also, and I, I definitely made a lot of mistakes. But then having, I think after about a year of just running Oscillate and we're doing like three courses for $55, something, you know, um, like quite a cheap menu, I think we changed to degustation. And then James Parry, who came on board, you know, like really – you know, showed me a lot of things as well. You know, like I had the fine dining training, but, you know, he really made me focus on how things were tasting and just because this technique was was quite different and no one seen it, has seen it before, you know, like how did the overall dish taste, you know. So even working at a lot of fine dining places and I felt like I had the experience to run a kitchen, you know, like he really made me develop my palate, which I, I found, you know, detrimental at the time as well, you know. Do you remember any dishes from that period of time um, that you like fondly that you uh, were really proud of at Oscillate? <laughs> probably, probably not. Probably, <laughs> probably too, probably too embarrassed to uh, talk about them. To be honest, yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's a very you know at six penny now. It's just it's a very different focus. You know, just focus on the best ingredients that we can get our hands on. You know, just make things taste delicious, and you know, like. I guess, you know, we have our, our service is, is quite fine dining, you know, but, you know, we're, we're a restaurant that doesn't have too many bells and whistles, you know. We just we just rely on, you know, good food, friendly service and want to welcome people into our own home, yeah. So, like, the, you know, the philosophy of Sixpenny is very different from Oscillate. You know, I think Oscillate was a bit more, you know, molecular, you know, using, you know, things like Versa Whips and making, like, you know, freezing purees in sheets and then like ripping them off like puzzle pieces and then like melting them back onto the plate you know like a little bit more technique driven you know and like I remember we used to like try to we didn't have a you know sous vide was big and we used to sous vide at um 
at Tets, you know, but then, okay, you know, it was before it, but it was sort of trendy. And then um, I mean, it became huge, you know, everyone was like cooking sous vide, but at Oscillate, we just had like set up like a gastro tray with water. We put a, a, a baking rack in the bottom of it and then we had like Ziploc bags and we put the, the beef in it. I remember putting the beef rump in it. We put oil, salt, pepper, thyme, and then you would dip the the glad bag like in a pot of water to push all the push all the air out and as the water rose to the bag then you would just ziplock it you know and i remember then that and then in the gastro tray you know we'd just leave it on like the burner on quite low and then would like sous vide all our meats like that you know so it was a, a very a rustic way of of trying to use new techniques without having the fancy equipment so like i remember those ex- I remember those experiences, which were which were really fun, you know. But in terms of dishes, you know, I don't think there's anything that there that I'm like I'm super proud of. Probably a lot more that I'm not proud of. <laughs> yeah. Well, six penny, uh, you sort of took a chance in Stanmore in a sort of little corner spot there, and uh, it's become an, an incredible uh, influence on our culinary landscape. Can you tell us how six penny began? Yeah, well, it began with James and myself. Um, and, you know, we always liked that little corner spot in Stanmore, you know, because we wanted to, at the time, we had the garden in Barrel where Black James was looking after. And, you know, like the, you know, we wanted a place with a bit of a backyard uh, and that and it had that and you don't really find too many places like in the city that would have that. Um, so, yeah, like it, it was it was a risk, but, you know, the rent was cheap and, you know, we just sort of knew if we did a good job, then we'll be able to make people sort of, you know, travel out to Stanmore, which is not that far from the city, you know. It's like 18 minutes on the train. You know, you can, it's easy to get to from the, from the North Shore and, you know, like it's, it's a quiet little, it's a quaint little, it's got a, it's got a little country vibe to the street and I suppose that was what was quite appealing and we sort of just had that belief that we could make people come to, come to Stanmore. Well, it's one of the most beautiful dining rooms to sit in for a long lunch as the sun sort of streams through those windows that you have there. How much has Sixpenny changed for you over over the years? It, it's a restaurant that has evolved quite a lot over the years, but how does it feel to you compared to the early days? Um, yeah, like it just grows organically. You know, like I don't think we have like set goals of what we want to achieve or what we want the restaurant to be like. I suppose we just stay on top of, you know, every year getting, you know, every six months getting the tables redone and getting the floors done, painting. And I mean, the dining room has has been pretty timeless. We haven't really done much to it except that the private dining room, we had painted like a darker green color on the inside. It's not the same as the, the front room. Um, you know, the kitchens remain the same. The, 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 the way the actual dining room itself looks is the same. I just suppose that we more focus on the style of service, um, adapting that, making it more efficient, making it, you know, just as, as warm and welcoming, if not more. Um, and, and the food, you know, we just, like I said, you know, we just try to make each menu better than the one previously. And if we change a dish just to make sure that it, it's, it's a tastier dish than the one before. Um, so in that way, the restaurant keeps changing and evolving, but in terms of, you know, the, the way it looks, you know, like I, I still think it's a bit of a, you know, timeless looking restaurant. You know, again, it's not as it's just a very warm, welcoming place. It's not like nothing's extravagant. 
Um, yeah, like we don't really, you know, have many bells and whistles. The view is just of the road outside, you know, but it's not too busy and it's just a quaint little quiet street and I feel like you can just sort of come and really relax at Sixpenny, you know, and like that's it, like just settle in for a nice long lunch on a Sunday. When you uh, walk through the restaurant to pop out the back to use the toilet, so you get a glimpse of the kitchen, it's quite open and you can see the chefs doing what they do. Can you take us into that kitchen and the creative process can you, and perhaps a dish that you have on the menu at the moment, if you could take us through that, the elements of it and, and what happens in the kitchen there? Um, well, I suppose a, a simple breakdown of, of the kitchen. It was definitely designed on the, on the style of a tasting menu. Um, and there's the, the front pass. Uh, no, no heat lamps from the top, just the, the bench is heated so you can sort of work both sides of, the, of that bench. Uh, all the all the hot food comes from there. Uh, there's in in front on that pass. There's someone who runs the hot section. Behind them is someone who does the meat section. Someone's always floating. There's like a a garnish, like a like a yeah, like a garnish section, cold dishes, and then the pastry side who will do the first savory course, uh, and then you know uh, then all, obviously all the desserts as well. Um, so it, the format of of the kitchen is definitely set up for a tasting menu. Um, you know, at the moment we have about four snacks and seven courses, um, I believe, and it always uh, will always stick to that format. Whether it's you know a few less snacks and an extra course, or more snacks and one course less. Um, it's just, it's just, it's based upon that, you know, in terms of a dish at the moment, um, I mean like the kangaroo, for example, like the kangaroo tartare, it's been on the menu for a while now. It's like a sort of cold larder course, which is just like a, a the paru kangaroo, which is just minced just before service. And then, you know, mixed with sort of, you know, simple seasonings that you'd find in a tartar and then there's caramelized cream, a little sweet, sweet potato like chip, which has just been seasoned with dry cheese and malt. But yeah, it's like a, a cold dish, which is just, yeah, it's like, it's, it's hard to talk about how we, we go about the format of, of a dish, you know, when, you know, the whole, the whole menu is just structured around that kitchen, you know? So it's like a bit here, there and everywhere, you know, but everyone sort of, sort of plays their part, you know, like you might be cooking the meat section, but you could be doing a hot snack you know, or you could be, you know, on the hot garnish, but you plate and run a lot of the food or you'd be on pastry and you're plating a savory course and then running out all the savory dishes and talking about them before you go and, you know, plate up your own desserts. So like generally if you're in charge of a section, you know, you'd be cooking that course and then someone else would run it for you. And then if someone else is in charge of a course then and you're not doing anything at the time, then you would then run that, their food out to the tables as well. Your cuisine is very produce focused what's been exciting you recently in a produce sense um the the margaret lamb um uh that we've been getting which has been which has been really delicious it's um you know the fat in this and a lot of people have been using it at the moment but the fat in this in this lamb it hasn't got that sort of real traditional lamby you know a lot of people get taken back by that strong lamby fat flavor but um 
yeah, and to me it's just really delicious and there's lots of this like um um like micro marbling in the in the meat, you know, where it's just like really gently marbled with fat through the meat, which is um which which I find really delicious. And so um yeah, Aaron's done a dish with like he makes like a macadamia mole, so he makes like a a mole sauce but uses sort of more I wouldn't say all like native ingredients but he'll use like macadamia nuts in instead of anything else um and then you know like the the lamb in itself is just like simply roasted at a low temperature in the oven and then just finished in the pan uh served with the mole uh, a little bit of salt bush and then and then a sauce you know and then we always um just made from the lamb bones but uh malt, bit of malted barley as well you know, a little bit of depth of flavor, and then we always just serve a few accompaniments to to go with it. And I, I find that that's something that I'm really into um, at the moment as well. Is like serving something like quite clean and simple on the plate, but then having a few little accompaniments, which you'd normally see in like an à la carte style setting, um, but then seeing in a in a tasting menu. Yeah, your desserts often have a thread of nostalgia through them. Um, and they were often quite playful. Uh, can you tell us about some of them and, and um, why you head down that path? Um, I don't know. Like I think we just try to create things that just just taste delicious, you know. And like um, so like there's a dessert that I've been working on now for a month or two and it came about because I had a lunch um, as soon as the borders were open. I was down in Melbourne and I had uh, lunch at Amaru. Um, and I, I love Clinton's food and Clinton has been able to come to Sixpenny a few times and I've never had the chance to get down there. And it's a, it's a place that I've been really had my eye on, you know, cause just the way he presents his food is really delicious. Um, I always found that he, sh- you know, in, in the rankings and in terms of restaurants in Australia, he should be a little bit higher than where he was and always was like worried about like, not worried, but always just thought to myself, like, you know, like, why, why is he sat where he is, you know, and he's not high because his food looks so technical and beautiful. And, you know, it was such an amazing experience. Like every, every dish was as delicious as, as it looked, you know, and um, there was one dessert he did with like a, like a caramelized banana puree with like this macadamia cream. And then I'm probably going to like butcher the description because I can't remember the description. Um, and then there was this, like, there's this ice cream and then this sort of like, like uh sauce that was just like, you know, foamed over the top. But I just remember like years and years ago, I've always wanted to do a dessert with like roasted banana and never really found, uh, you know, a nice way of doing it until I had this banana dessert at Amaru, you know, and I was being a little bit cheeky and asking them how they you know, how they did that banana, banana component. And, uh, you know, so like we got these bananas and we like stud them with cloves and then we, we roast them in the oven and then we get that. Then we make a caramel with brown sugar and then deglaze it with an alcohol and then throw the roasted banana in. And then we just like cook that out and caramelize it and then just puree it together. So it makes this sort of like banana jam this like caramelized banana jam with like a really strong sort of roasted banana flavor. Um, so at Sixpenny we did that and then we have a little salted caramel 
you know, because salted caramel and bananas, delicious. Uh, and then I made a, a walnut ice cream, you know. Um, so there's a walnut ice cream. And then we make this sort of satay on from uh, honey and beeswax. So you sort of get this like, you know, the, the sweetness from the honey, but that nice sort of, you know, depth of flavor from the, from the wax, but without having that, you know, waxy mouthfeel on your, on your, on your palate. Yeah. So it's just sort of caramel, it's like a caramelized banana jam, salted caramel, walnut ice cream and a, um, and, uh, and, and like a, what did I say? The honey, that like a, um, oh, just like the, or the honey sabayon, you know, what, what else? The beeswax. Yeah. Like a beeswax, honey and beeswax, honey and beeswax sabayon. Yeah. A little earlier, you mentioned, uh, that it's felt a bit like a year off from reviewing and, um, the less pressure because of that. What, what, what's it feel like being, um, held in such high esteem and ranked so highly in restaurants? Are, are there big pressures involved in that? Oh, definitely. You know, like, um, you know, like since having three hats, the restaurant has been full, like every service, every lunch, every dinner. We don't have to try to cram people in just to make sure we're like, you know, paying bills at the end of the week. It's, it's been really comfortable in that sense. Um, but you, you are sort of scared of losing it because the idea of having the three hats you know, I was very happy just being at the high end of the two hat level. You know, even if we lost a point that year, would still be two hats, and therefore people, I feel like people wouldn't. You know, there's not that clear differentiation from three to two or two to one. You know, if we were seventeen and a half, and or even seventeen, and you lose a point, you're still a two hat restaurant. And so people, oh yeah, okay, six penny still a two hat restaurant, like it's worth going to. But I feel going from three to two, you know, you know, six penny is no good anymore. We're not going to go to that two hat restaurant. We'll go to you know a three hat because that's obviously better, you know. Um, so there's that sort of fear in it, and I hate the lead up to the awards nights because even the first year where you know we didn't get called out uh, in the two hat section, like I I didn't I, I never go to an, I never have ever gone to an awards thinking that would be a three hat restaurant. I always thought it were a good two hat restaurant, and then. And then, you know, not being called out, you know, everyone was super excited because, you know, there are people in, in the, you know, like especially George, you know, like he, he believes that we could be a three-hat restaurant and he definitely pushes for it on the service side of things. And he's like, oh, we, we didn't get called out in two hats. We're three hats. We're three hats. And the whole time I'm like, don't don't get too excited. Like they could have made a mistake. Maybe they just didn't call our names out in the two-hat restaurant, two-hat category. You know, they might not call us out in the three-hat category, you know, like it's just, just a mistake. So like until they actually – called our names out I just honestly thought it was a mistake um so that was like that was stressful but uh, amazing at the same time so many people came up and congratulated us and said you know so well deserved and you know you definitely deserve to be there and that was that was truly humbling and and amazing but even you know last year when the last year's awards were on I remember you know uh, no one could come with me to the awards night so I was um you know, pacing up and down the hotel room, just like not wanting to go to the awards night, thinking that we we're going to lose it this year, you know. And, you know, like it's, it's, it can be so like, I, I, sometimes I just don't understand it. And I'm going and I'm speaking to Dan Hunter and he's telling me to relax, you're fine. And I'm like, it's fine for you, you know, like 
he's either like 18 and a half or 19 or something, you know, he can lose a point and still be at that three hat level, you know, and, you know, they're, they're telling me not to worry, but like, I probably pissed them off to be honest, because like, I'm just like stressing out about it. Um, but then, yeah, getting called out again was just, was, was incredible. And I, I feel like, you know, if we're there now, then we just, our mindset is just to keep making sure that we just progress little by little every year. We make the menu a little bit more detailed, a little bit more delicious and, and, and take it from there. But, you know, like the reason why you get, you know, disheartened sometimes is because you look at a place like Momofuku and, you know, Paul's cooking is ridiculous and, you know, some like, he, and I, I definitely feel their restaurant is like three hats in my opinion, you know, like it's not that sort of traditional fine dining where, you know, things are plated and, you know, circles of this and squares of that and everything's just like, you know, has been scaled. You know, he might serve you like marins, which have been like grilled over fire and then cut and then served with some sort of paste and then this most delicious roti bread, you know. But if any other chef, if any other chef tries to make that roti bread, like, there's no way they can make it as delicious as that, you know. Um, and then, you know, one year they're three hats and then last year they lost it, you know. And it's like, it's to me, like, I'm not a reviewer. I don't know what happens on the nights when they're there. Um, but, you know, as a, as a customer of the restaurant and someone in the industry, it's like, oh, you know, if, if it happens to them and it can happen to us, but, you know, why did it happen to them? You know, because I believe that they should be up there in the three hat category. So, yeah, like th- those are the stresses, you know, and but they're out, out of my control, I guess. Reviewing an awards will change given what's happened this year. I don't know. Like you tell you tell me you tell me is it going is it going to change? <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. You know, like it's definitely made definitely made me think about it, you know, and you know, like having that little bit of not having to be so critical of myself this year, you know, and and Aaron, who had been with Sixpenny from the beginning and then left and went overseas and worked other places and then, you know, came back. He came back and we we're going to open a restaurant for Aaron. Um, and we we're looking at, we'll look, you know, maybe that's still on the cards in the future, but, you know, we we're looking at, um, you know, we we're trying to find a side and we we're negotiating the terms of the lease. And, you know, we had designers in there like drawing up plans and, and, and doing all these things. And then, you know, like through no fault of ours, actually, just the landlords sort of being a little bit, you know, like trying to push every cent out of us, you know, like uh, made that process longer than it than it needed to be. If if they were a little, if they were actually more willing to come to the party initially, we probably would have signed a lease, but we didn't because of COVID, you know, and it was probably lucky that we didn't. And then, you know, then with the whole bakery going so well, Aaron's like, oh, why don't we do like a little cake shop slash bakery, you know? And like like we had always talked about, like it was always on the cards, but we felt like opening a, a restaurant for Aaron first was a little bit more important. But, uh, you know, now we're sort of more looking into, um, yeah, maybe opening a little cake shop slash bakery that offers some sort of savory food during the, during the day as well. So it was definitely a some pluses have come out of this, you know, um, and just being able to focus on that and not, not being so stressed at work, you know, knowing that 
we could be, you know, people, I'm sure maybe people have come and reviewed us this year, you know, but knowing that there wasn't going to be an awards night uh, sort of felt like there was a little bit of pressure off us, you know. You mentioned that you, once the borders opened, you took the opportunity to go and dine at Amaru. Um, with, with the borders being closed for a lot of the year, what have you missed about travelling? Um, well, the, the, freedom, the freedom to travel is... <laughs> Is um, you know, like um, yeah, like my partner lives in Melbourne, so um, she lives and works in Melbourne, so it was hard to uh, didn't see her for like almost four months. Wow. Um, so that that's hard, you know. Um, I suppose them the borders being open, being able to go down there when I need to to see her or for her to come up to here. That's probably the the one and only thing that I, I care about. So after the events and changes of this year, we're drawing to an end for um, for the year, for 2020. What are your hopes for 2021? Um, my hopes, uh, hopefully we can open up this little cake shop slash bakery um, for Aaron, you know, just so I can see some of the chefs just move and, and get more experience, you know, like he's been with us for a long time. I just want to still see him be motivated uh, he, I'm, he's pretty keen on doing this, so I really would like to get that up and running for him. You know, see my sous chef Georgia step up and and take and take his role. Um, I suppose for me in 2021, like I'm really excited just to. I know it sounds a bit weird, but not to mentor people, but just to like coach them through working in the industry and trying to like maintain relationships with my staff and, and help them and help them grow, you know? Um, and if we can do that and open another business at the same time, um, I'd be very happy. And, you know, hopefully if we can sort of move also and say that if we could move that 1.5 meter gap between tables, which is very confusing and not many people stick to, you know, it'd be nice if we could sort of abolish that, then, uh, you know, we'll be able to be at full capacity again. Well, well, Dan, it's been amazing hearing your story today on Deep in the Weeds. Please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. And if there was, um, you know, one thing that I could just say in closing, it's normally when I have these interviews with people, like I really just want to drill the, the fact that, you know, like this couldn't have been done on my own and, you know, having the support of people like Georgia, Aaron and George uh, really made the transition from Sixpenny into the general store like such a, a massive hit, like a, a positive sort of, you know, change for us. It was a lot of fun and, and it wouldn't have happened without the hard work and dedication from them. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, the restaurant can be about, you know, the questions are directed to me and, you know, how I've dealt with things. But, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's not just me, you know, like I, I, I set it up originally, but, you know, you've got those three people that I mentioned, Aaron, George and Georgia, the, the three main people that run the restaurant and continually to push, you know, the, the, of, of the boundaries of what we can do in that small space um, so I just want a huge shout out to them, not just them, but the whole team, you know, from, you know, my kitchen hand who's been there since day one and who's probably, who's probably leaving, um, back to Thailand in 2021. Um, so that's a, that's a huge loss for our restaurant, you know, cause he's been there like 
you know, he might go back to Thailand when he could every every year for six weeks, but he's he's always there. I never had to worry about that. Um, so just a big shout out to the to the team, you know, past and present that have always been there pushing our restaurant forward. You know, like all my thanks and gratitude goes goes towards them. Amazing, Dan. Uh, keep in touch, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Anthony. Appreciate it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.